Well, as we uh, continue our look at the Gospel of Luke as he writes out the story of Jesus, uh, this morning we're, we're going to see, as we go into the text today, is we're going to see that Jesus uh, encounters people in real life struggles. Uh, there's no limits to the people that Jesus reaches out to. And uh, so just before we get into the message this morning, uh, I've asked Greg if Greg would come. And Greg is uh, going to come. Let's welcome Greg as he comes this morning. Thank you. Uh, Greg has, um, he's going to be sharing with us a, a struggle in his life that is a, a common, prevalent struggle in this country. And, uh, and we're just going to have him share a little bit about that story this morning. So Greg, uh, welcome. Thank you, Pastor Jim. <laughs> And uh, what Greg is going to be sharing with us uh, about, he's going to be sharing with us a little bit about pornography today and, and the story of his life uh, in that struggle. Uh, and so I have just a few questions for Greg. You know, um, I thought you said we were going to talk about photography. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, okay. I, I really should no. read my emails more carefully. Right, right, I'm, right. I'm just kidding. So, okay. I'm happy to be here and all happy right. to talk. Right. Well, Greg... Um, First of all, I want to thank you for the courage that you have to sit here and share with that. I really do. Uh, and, and so maybe tell us just a little bit about your story. How did you, how did you get into pornography? And, uh, and then what's the story of how you, God led you to overcome this in your life? Yes. Uh, my story begins when I was about uh, 14 years old. I was working a uh, summer job, and uh, I came across a magazine in an office where I was by myself, and I, uh, I knew better, but I decided to take a look. It was very appealing, and uh, it wasn't, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't long before I was trying to find myself alone in that office again, and then... Uh, you know, time passed, and I was just looking for other opportunities to find it. I wasn't just stumbling across it anymore. I was actively seeking. And, uh, you know, that I tried to fight it. I tried to overcome it, and it had very limited success. And it wasn't until I was confronted in um, 2010 about my behavior that uh, uh I finally found this, uh, the Compass Group and a counselor, and God used them and a forgiving wife to, uh, you know, these brothers that walk along beside me helped mm -hmm. overcome and get this out into the light, and I've been able to have uh, victory over this okay. in, in community. Right. That's probably the key is in community. All right, great. Well, that leads to the next question. I mean, how, you know, how do we... How do you, we understand this whole issue of pornography? How it um, it can get to a point where it takes such a deep hold on a person that even though they they know it's wrong, they can't quit. Uh, you know, it's probably the biggest thing I feel is shame. Um, there's a lot of shame and guilt involved, and uh, you end up, or at least in my case, uh, I grew up in a really strict. Uh, upbringing, and um, I knew of other people that got caught with this, and they went through a lot of uh, embarrassment, and and so all that taught me was 
uh, I really don't want to get caught. And so I spent a lot of time and effort on hiding it. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, so that was the first part of the question. Okay. What was the second that, part? Okay. <laughs> it's just how, I mean, it gets such an addictive oh, yeah, hold. Yeah, you know what? So, so what happens is typically there's something underneath. The, it's not just a desire for the pornography. There's something underneath that's missing in your life or a pain that you're trying to numb. And uh, in the case of pornography, along with other, a lot of other addictions, um, you end up going to that to numb the pain, but it, it actually causes more pain and guilt and shame as a result of your acting out in it that you go back to it to numb the pain that you just caused. And once that happens, you're in this spiral that's mm-hmm. almost impossible to get out of okay. without right. outside help. Now, you uh, lead the men's compass group that meets here on Tuesday evenings. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about that group and, and how, what is it about the group? How does, uh, what do you do? What, what happens in the group? Okay. Uh, the compass group meets every Tuesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. And it's just uh, a bunch of guys that get together for the purpose of encouraging sexual purity. Um, we do this by reminding each other of the Bible's teachings on healthy sexuality. Uh, we're available for one another as a supportive team of brothers. And that Tuesday night group is a place where we can share with confidentiality. Uh, and, and, you know, we're about grace and truth. You know, God has a standard. That standard minimum mm-hmm. is lust. Uh, and so in my case anyway, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff I found myself okay doing was, well, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing that. And I, ne- I needed to be reminded what God's standard was. So we, we meet every week. We, we go over, we call it compass, so we go over one point of our compass. We have eight points on the compass. Um, and those kind of constitute our topic mainly for that night. We, and then we have a Bible passage that deals with that. And our true north is Christ. Uh, we talk about uh, weakness, our weakness in this sin to overcome it, uh, confession, how we need to get it out into the light, uh, reconciliation, trying to reconcile with those we've hurt. Um, let me, let me read, my, read my list here. Reconciliation, uh, weakness, surrender, repentance is important, and not just a, uh, not, not confession, but repentance is an active turning away. Mm-hmm. Like, we made plans to get involved this, with this sin throughout our, our lives. You know, we, we plan to do this or that or rent this video or whatever. And uh, now we make plans to avoid it and make plans for good. So that's part of our uh, repentance. Uh, it's an accountability group. Uh, for me, one of the things I really love about the group is the fact that uh, I, I'll, I'll struggle with this the rest of my life. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a male. I think this is the way God made almost every male. Uh, we are sexual beings, but there's a proper place for it. In society today, it's just so easy and so much in our face to be tempted in the wrong way. Right. Um, yeah. So this accountability is a way that something, if it happens during the week, can grow to six, seven days old, but then it can be cut out, uh, and it doesn't ever have to grow to be this big thing. That's right. Uh, and and, and just having an accountability partner in the group 
or having the group as an accountability uh, source uh, takes away a lot of the strength okay. of the temptation. Good. And so here's the final question, Greg. Um, what would you say to any person, uh, man or woman, uh, about you know, dealing with this issue in their life? And, and what, would you say to, um, what would you say to the youth that are here today? What would you say to parents that are here today? Uh, first of all, there's hope. Uh, if you struggle with this, there, there is hope. And I'm, I'm up here because there is hope. I wouldn't be here if, there wasn't, if it wasn't the case. And I've not only seen this in my life, I've seen it in many other men's lives uh, that have come to group and struggle with this. That You know, it, it can, it doesn't have to control your life. There was a couple uh, passages in the uh, songs we were singing this morning uh, all we want and all we need is found in you, and we get in trouble and we mess up our lives when we take Christ out of that position and put something else. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and another part of another song was, without you, I fall apart. Uh, that's the truth. It's mm-hmm. just what happens. We do. We fall we apart. So I want to say that there's hope. Uh, a lot of men feel like nobody else is struggling with this. That's a bunch of baloney. A lot of guys are. It's just that we don't talk about it. And uh, I'm more than happy to talk about it because I don't want to leave anybody where I was years ago. Um, so, okay, so that's, uh, what, what would I say? Then say we'll, to youth, say to parents. To, to youth. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got into this in my youth, and I regret it in, in many different ways. Uh, I, one thing I'll say to the youth is that oh my word, your temptation today is greater, much greater than the stuff I, I had to go out of my way to find it. Uh, nowadays, it is just everywhere. And I, I cannot imagine the amount of temptation you have. Uh, with that said, you know, reach out for help. Reach out to a safe person like the pastor or someone else you know that's a safe person and talk about it. Get it out in the open uh, because it only, it's never going away. It's, it's only going to get worse um, to youth and, and parents. To parents. You know what? If you find uh, your child struggling with this, uh, don't be surprised. We live in a fallen world, and we are all fallen creatures. Uh, don't act like you just can't imagine that this could happen to your child because your child's human. Uh, you should have a lot of evidence of that. Uh, <laughs> I know I do with mine. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't be surprised. And, again, reach out for help. Uh, be, if you can be honest, in my case growing up, there was just this, uh, you know, oh, that's vile, it's wicked, it's this, it's that. And it's like, you know what, it's, it's also alluring. And it's, uh, it's understandably tempting. Um, so come alongside rather than come down on in this, and I believe you'll have uh, much greater success. Thanks, Greg. Greg, thanks so much. Yep. Really appreciate it, Greg. God bless you. God bless you.
Well, Luke chapter 5 this morning, uh, we've entitled it um, Miracles, Healings, and Parties. And what Luke is going to show us here is that Jesus would go anywhere and to any lengths to reach out and redeem and heal people's broken lives. There was no person that was ever off limits to Jesus and his love. Now, I'm not going to have time to read through all of the passages, the verses in this chapter. I'm going to sort of succinctly summarize the stories so we can sort of get the flow and, and what Luke is, is wanting to show us about Jesus Christ here this morning. So first of all, verses 1 through 13, and you can read these verses alone later or get in your small groups and read them together. But here's, here's what happens in verses 1 through 13. Jesus is teaching along the Sea of Galilee. There's a huge crowd there. Simon's P- Simon Peter's fishing boat is there. He had a business with his brother. They owned a boat. Boats in that day were 20 to 30 feet long. So Jesus gets in the boat and shoves it offshore, and he begins to teach the crowd from the boat. He just gets a better view, and he almost created a little amphitheater setting right there. So he gets done teaching, and then he turns to Peter, and he says the strangest thing, at least to Peter. Uh, He says, Peter, take the boat offshore a little further and cast your nets to catch some fish. Well, the crazy thing is, Peter's an experienced seaman. He says, Lord, we just labored all night. There aren't any fish biting. We... We didn't catch hardly a fish. But if you insist, hey, we'll, we'll shove out and we'll, we'll throw the nets out again. Well, they go out, they throw the nets out. And you know, and those of you, you know, this is a very common story. They caught so many fish that they called their fellow business partners, partners James and John, who also had their boat there docked. Come on out here, you guys. It filled both boats with so many fish that they both began to sink. And then Peter's first statement, he's getting a glimpse of who Jesus is. He's Lord, he's Lord of even nature. Anyhow, he falls down on his knees in front of Jesus and he he says these words, Lord, go away from me. I am a sinful man. You know, which is the very opposite of what Jesus came into the world to do. He didn't come to create a distance between himself and us sinful human beings. But instead, the whole whole thing he's trying to point out to Peter here today is, I've come into the world to cast my net, my net of grace, my net of love, my net of redemption and healing and restoration. I'm going to cast my net to all the people of this world. And that's what I'm calling you guys to come and follow me. I want you to learn how to cast that net. And so what he says to them is, Don't be afraid, Peter, because from now on, you're going to go fishing for people. Then it says that Jesus, uh, that Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, it says they left everything to follow Jesus. They became the first four of the 12 disciples. So then Jesus immediately takes them all fishing. He's the master fisherman, and he's going to show them what, what he means by being a, by casting your net, by fishing for people. What does he mean? In verses 12 to 16, again, here's a little summary. They go into one of the towns, and a man with a seriously infectious disease of leprosy, it eats your skin, it eats your body away. This man come running up to Jesus to be healed. Now, lepers were at the bottom rung of the social ladder. Uh, they were quarantined 
in little leper villages outside the town. Uh, they had no human contact other than their families would take some food outside the, the village and set the food for them so they could come out and get their food. But as far as human touch, any kind of human contact, for years this leper had probably not even had a handshake, a touch, a hug from any human being, completely isolated. And the, and the thing on top of that was in those days, any person that was suffering from some sort of a disease like this they were, they were considered to be under the judgment of God for some sin they had committed in their life. That was their, their theology in those days was, if you're suffering, then that means you've sinned. So this guy was totally ostracized. Now, it's interesting what he, how he makes his appeal to Jesus here. You know, Jesus had healed a lot of people. But so far as we know, he had never yet healed a leper. Lepers were in a class by themselves. And so this leper, this man probably thought, I, I know Jesus is healed, but I don't know if, I don't know if he'll go as far as me because of who I am. So anyhow, the, the man comes up and he says to Jesus, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean, but there's a big if right there. Are you, are, will your grace go that far? Well, I love Jesus' answer. Because the first thing Jesus does, he becomes the first human the first human, in years to reach out and touch this man. A lot of times when Jesus healed people, he would just give the command and they were healed. But you know what he did here? He reached out and he touched this man. And then he said to him, the greatest words this guy ever heard, I am willing, I am totally willing, be clean. And this man was instantly cleansed of his leper, leprosy. And you know what? Jesus told him, he did more than that. He said, now I want you to go over to the priest. I want you to get your healing confirmed. And Jesus restored him not only physically, but emotionally and relationally. He, he touched, and spiritually. He put this man back in touch with his friends, his community, and with the synagogue. He healed the whole person. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He's a beautiful, this man is a beautiful example that Jesus, when Jesus cast out that net, it goes to every possible human being who, who will respond to his grace. Okay. Now, what happened was, as a result of this man's t testimony, it says that the news of what had happened just spread. And so, you know what? The, the, the net was filled, was filled with fish that day. It was filled with people who came to Christ. Okay, here's, this, here's the uh, next. Next, verses 17 to 26. Uh, Jesus goes uh, fishing again back in Peter's hometown of Capernaum, probably at Peter's own house and his mother, where he lived with his mother-in-law. Remember, uh, and this was sort of Jesus' headquarters when he was in the region of Galilee. He would go to Peter's house. Uh, he had healed, healed Peter's mother-in-law. That's in chapter 4, okay? Uh, well, anyhow, here's what happens. There's a huge crowd that, again, comes to listen to Jesus. He's in the house. There's people crammed in, uh, they're pressed up against the walls. They're flowing out the door. They're surrounding the house, listening to Jesus teach. And then there are four men who come carrying on a stretcher their paralyzed friend. Uh, the crowds were so great that 
they couldn't get anywhere near Jesus. But these guys were determined. And so what they did, in those days, every house had a stairway that went up alongside. And all the roofs were flat because they would, they would put uh, slats on the roof and then cover those roofs with uh, a lot of soil because they would, they would grow vegetables on their roofs, okay? So these guys go up to the roof, and, uh, and they begin to rip up Peter's, Peter's roof. Uh, now, put yourself there that day, okay? I mean, put yourself in the house. Uh, pretty soon, you hear this ruckus above. You begin to see some daylight. <laughs> what do you think Peter was thinking at this point? Uh, there's, there's pieces of slat and dirt and all that stuff falling on people's heads, even falling on Jesus that day. You know, I would feel sort of upset right now if someone, if someone interrupted what I was up here doing, teaching. I'd get a little bit irritated. Do you think Jesus got irritated that day? Hey, I'm in the middle of point three, okay? No, uh, so I can tell you, I'll bet Peter was irritated. Uh, so anyway, and the other people probably. What are these guys? Man, what the gall. Anyway, so what does Jesus do here? Oh, let me throw this in. Here's another guy who was not just paralyzed physically. But in the estimation of the people's minds that day, here's another guy that's being punished for some sin in his life, or, or at least the sin of a parent or something like that. Uh, so this, was man, this man was unacceptable spiritually and physically, but he was blessed with four friends whose faith Jesus greatly commended that day because they understood about bringing people to Jesus for, to get a new beginning in their life. They understood that. But here's Jesus' response. Two things. First, before he deals with the, the outside physical paralysis in this man's life, Jesus took a deeper look into, I guess, what we could call the spiritual paralysis that goes even deeper. Uh, the presence of, of sin, the, the, the things in this man's life that were under the surface. And so what he says to the guy, first of all, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are completely wiped away. Now, there were some people in the crowd that day. They got really frosted. <laughs> they got really upset with Jesus when he said that. They were the religious leaders. They were called Pharisees. And um, they were already upset with Jesus for even reaching out to socially unacceptable people. But now they, they had heard, this takes the cake. Because who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Who does Jesus think he is? Well, you know what? Jesus knew their thoughts, and he didn't argue the point with them. They were starting to understand who he was, and they didn't like it. But to show that they were right about him, him being God, he went ahead and insti instantly demonstrated that he had power over nature again. And he's, he wanted to get, he, okay, he told this man, get up, take your stretcher, and walk. And this man went home restored physically, emotionally, and spiritually, forgiven and healed at the same time. Why? Because Jesus cast that net of grace and changed this man's life. Now, the story, the text of the scripture doesn't tell us, but I got to thinking about this. What did, what did this guy do with the rest of his day? Well, I wouldn't be surprised that he went jogging with his four friends around Capernaum 
But that would have been after the five of them went up and repaired Peter's roof, okay? <laughs> so, all right. That's just not in the scripture, but hey, makes sense to me. Uh, okay, now, let's move on to the third episode here. In verses 27 to 32, Jesus casts his net out again, only this time a different kind of social outcast. This time it's the most hated, despised, shunned of all the people in Israel. It says in the scripture that Jesus was leaving, he was walking, and he saw a tax collector. Now, the tax collectors in those days, as most of you well know, they were traitors to their own people. They were considered the scum of Israel. Because not only were they working for Rome, who had all, just were cruel oppressors of the people, but they were, as tax collectors, they were most of the time swindling and by overcharging, cheating their own countrymen. They were considered traitors and outcasts. Now, Luke says that Jesus saw Levi. And I think we should put emphasis on that word, saw Levi. And it's amazing. Because everybody else would have just walked past him in sheer disgust. But Jesus saw a person, Levi, beyond the exterior, beyond his reputation, and beyond the behaviors in his life. Jesus looked past that. Now, Levi had for sure heard about and probably even seen Jesus in action. I mean, Jesus had been in Capernaum doing lots of great things. Levi probably was aware of him. But when he saw Jesus coming his way, what do you think were the thoughts in Levi's mind? He's probably thinking, man, maybe Jesus, this holy man, he's going to come over here and judge me for being such a swindling, cheating traitor to my own people. In other words, you remember Bernie Madoff a few years back? Bernie Madoff a few years back was probably the most despised person in the United States of America because he had swindled thousands and thousands of people out of their lifetime savings. Anyway, that's who Levi is. He's the Bernie Madoff of Capernaum. But what does Jesus do? He walks up to Levi with the last thing Levi would ever have dreamed Jesus would say to him. In fact, Jesus gave him an invitation. He says, Levi, come and follow me. Everybody else would have been shocked. And you know what? Levi became one of the 12, <laughs> number five, in fact, to be called to be the band that would follow Jesus and represent him. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that Jesus doesn't just see us as we are today with whatever is going on in our lives. He doesn't just see us there. He sees us, he saw Levi as he created him. And he saw Levi as, the, as who he could become. That's the way Jesus sees us. And I'm grateful that it's that way. And the scripture says that Levi was so taken with Jesus that he left everything and followed Jesus. And when it says Levi left everything, man, he had a lucrative thing going there. He left it because he found Jesus. He found the hope. He found a new beginning in his life. He found forgiveness and grace. And what did Levi do out of his gratitude? The first thing he does 
is he starts fishing for people, following Jesus' example. He called a special party, a big banquet, and Jesus was the guest of honor. And he invited the only people that would ever come to a party he would throw. <laughs> it was his own social circle of other tax collectors. So Levi has this whole you know, room full of, ta- house full of tax collectors. Jesus is the honored guest. Do you think Jesus was afraid to go to that party for fear of what people would think? Not Jesus. He gladly accepted as the guest of honor. But again, the Pharisees who were observing this, they were having a literal meltdown. And so they went up to the disciples who were also there. And they said to, they asked, why do you guys eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you with these people? Now, Jesus must have overheard them. Because here, and here's one of the most profound statements Jesus ever made. Verse 31 and 32, it says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, that day, Levi and probably a lot of these other tax collectors, they faced themselves honestly for the first time, which is what the word repent means. And they did it in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus graciously forgave and received them. You know, the only people in all of these stories who resisted Jesus, the only people who resisted him were the religious leaders who knew the Bible inside and out. But like we said a couple weeks ago, they used or misused the Bible to reinforce their own self-righteousness. And you know what the worst addiction in the world is? The worst sin in the world is what the Pharisees were up to here. Because when a person reinforces their self-righteousness, even using the word of God to do it, they are unreachable. They, they, they put themselves, they reject the grace of God. And so what we, and, 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 and the, the disease that all of us who become so familiar with this Bible, the disease we always have to watch out for is that we're keeping a humble heart when we come to this word, say, Lord, cleanse me, cleanse me of my sin, and pray that till the day of the resurrection because the reality of it is that you and I have some stuff going on in our lives that needs to be cleansed until the day of the resurrection. Let us never forget that and stay humble. Paul said at the end of his life, he wrote that letter in 2 Timothy and said, I, the chief of sinners, Paul, we need to remember that and never, never, ever allow self-righteousness to cause us to use the scriptures in a judgmental, critical kind of attitude toward other people. Now, so here's the heart of it all. Jesus reached out, befriended, built relationships with, entered into conversations with, opened up his heart to, cast his people net of grace out to all of the people pools of the culture and society of his day. And he did all of that without ever compromising the truth of the scripture or his own character. 
But he went to all those people pools that all the other religious people would never, never, ever think about going to. Why? In order to lead lost people to a God who is so ready to forgive and wipe away shame and guilt in order to help people begin a brand new life free of the old habits, the old patterns, the old addictions, replacing them with the power of his own life, sharing it with them. That's what, that's what this gospel is. Now, if Jesus were visibly present on earth today in, in 21st century America, United States, for instance, what people pools would Jesus, where would Jesus go fishing today? What people pools? I have a list here. I just want to read the list. It's not exhaustive, but I know this is where Jesus would be going with his fishing net. He would go to people in all ethnic pools. There would be no racial barriers. He would go to the people in the gay community pool. He would go to the people in the transgender community pool. He would go to the people in the impoverished community pool. He would go to people in the rich community, that pool of people. He would go to the artist's community pool. He would go to the intellectual, the intellectual pool. He would go to people in the scientific community, to people in the young adult community, to people in the gang community, people in the atheist community. He would go to people in the alcohol drug addiction community. He would go to the political community pool, both sides of the aisle. Both sides of the aisle. Jesus would go with all the grace of the heart of an infinite God. And he would go to every other people pool that you could ever think of in this world. And so I, I have a question for Calvary Church family this morning. And it's a question for me too. I'm part of the family. How far are we prepared to go with the good news of Jesus? How far will we cast our nets to share Jesus with the people around us? Jesus has called us to, to go every Sunday when we leave this church. From now on, whenever we leave this church on Sunday, I'm thinking about hanging a go, gone fishing sign on the door out there. Okay? We've all, we're all, we've all gone fishing. That's our call. That's our mission. We go fishing. Jesus taught us. When you leave your house tomorrow morning to go to work or to go to school, get a, get a gone fishing sign. Hang it on your door. Gone fishing. It's the calling of all of us to care about the people we are with every day and to see past the unchristian language. Some of you might work in places where the language is, turns the air blue. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure that's the case. I worked for one year. My dad was a welder in a steel plant, Pennsylvania. And uh, one summer between college, college I uh, worked in uh, the steel plant down there. I worked uh, 3 to 11, and uh, I'll tell you what, um, the, uh, 
the foreman's wallpaper was pornography. He had his, his, his whole wallpaper was pornography. And, um, uh, and I mean, the, the, the language, yeah, we know, we know, we know. You know what? Peter, as the fisherman, he's probably like that himself, very possibly. Anyway, see past all that. Jesus did. See past the offensive behaviors that might be there. See like Jesus sees people. Engage them with love. Engage them in conversation. That's the people you are with during the week, that's your people pool to be casting out the net of grace that can bring, can bring, there's a, there's a hymn that says, the vilest of sinners can, can become the most radiant followers of Jesus Christ. Don't, you, don't we want to see that? That's what I want to see. I want to see that. Transformation, change. It only comes when we cast that net out. And the final point is this. Jesus is showing us there is only one thing we can do with our sins and our struggles and our wounds from being sinned against. And that is, come to him. He forgives. And, he invite, and he, when he forgives you, he then invites you into a process of bringing freedom and restoration to whatever struggles are going on in your life. And the second thing is this. The other thing added to that would be this. Jesus uses his family in the healing and restoring process of people's lives. He uses his church family to be just as safe as he is. You know, it's safe to come to Jesus with whatever is going on in your life. He'll receive you. And you know what? Jesus says it's also safe to come to his family because it's filled with people who were once where you are. Maybe not the same particular struggle, but were once outside of Christ. And so it's safe, no matter what's going on in your life. It's safe to, there, there are people within the walls of the church and, and this church that you can come to with whatever's going on in your life You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be shamed. But instead, you're going to be surrounded with a circle of people who will walk with you in the process of overcoming the deep struggles that are embedded, embedded patterns of sin, whatever they are, or the wounds that have come from being sinned against. Sin works both ways. We do it, and we hurt people, and we get hurt by it. You can come to a pastor in this church, any pastor in this church, trust and confidentiality and open your heart. Find a, and we can direct you to places, to others that can help walk with you. You can come to a small group leader. They will help. Listen, confidentiality, trust, help find a way People to circle up around you. Let's, let's work on this together. You can go to Compass. If, if, a, if you're a man struggling with pornography, Compass, that's one place you can go. If you're a woman struggling with pornography, and that's an issue too, uh, we, 
when, if you come to us, to a small, to someone, a small group leader, we can find ways to help with that. We don't have to live stuffing this stuff inside because it's toxic. It poisons us. It destroys our lives. Sin just doesn't go away. The only one who can deal with it is Jesus. He washes it away. He forgives us. So don't, don't go on hiding it. If you've been wounded by someone's sin in your life, Jesus heals wounds too. In fact, Isaiah 53 says he did two things on that cross. He bore our iniquities, but he also, co- he also bore our wounds on that cross to bring healing. So, in a few moments, there are going to be some prayer team leaders that are going to be up front here at the end of this service, and, and they are trustworthy people too. Maybe there's something in your heart, your life, that you, you want to come and just have someone pray with you about today. They'd be happy to do that in the highest levels of trust and confidentiality. Um, so we take, we, we're, this, ser- this sin business is really serious stuff. It's the most serious disease going out there. Most serious disease going in here, I should say. So will you come? Will you take that step? And then church family, uh, let's go fishing, okay? Let's go fishing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you love us and you care about us. Jesus, you set us such a wonderful example, and you just call us to follow you. And to, you said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So, Lord, we cast our nets tomorrow when we go to work, at school, wherever we are, with other family members, friends. Lord, give us those opportunities to just show love, to win confidence, to, to be genuine and authentic, to, build, to have conversations that can lead to opportunities to, to share you or to invite someone to church, whatever steps seem reasonable, Lord. But help us, Lord, to be seeing people and reaching out. And Heavenly Father, uh, may your grace be like an ocean, flow like an ocean in this church family and through this church family and through every church in this community. And, and Lord, we're all in this together for the kingdom. So Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks for being the, the, the Lord that you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.